0: Season of the Brand Lab podcast hosted by myself, Connie Nam, founder and CEO of your favorite jewelry brand, Astrid and me. We are not just a jewelry brand, we are a movement. We are here to empower everyone. During the pandemic, I started mentoring a few business owners. Following the experience, I was looking for ways to scale the knowledge and information. And decided to launch a podcast series where I interview founders and leaders for inspiration, because this is how I learned through listening and reading. After a positive response from our community last season, I sat down again with like minded founders and industry leaders, diving into the behind the scenes and operations of cult brands across fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. You will be able to gain insight into the highs, lows, lessons learned and the patience required in building a business or a career. Get ready to be inspired and be empowered. Please note this series has been recorded remotely, which might affect the sound quality. In this episode, I sat down with Grace Beverly, founder and CEO of athleisure brand Tala and fitness app Shreddy. Grace is very impressive, to say the least. At age 24, She's launched two successful businesses, finished her degree at Oxford, wrote a book, and has a podcast. She also happens to have 1 million followers on Instagram. Grace spoke to me about how her studying music and reading for a degree at Oxford University shaped her resilience and determination. We also discussed nuggets of wisdom from her new book Working Hard, Hardly Working to navigating her leadership style with empathy And collaboration. She also reveals after all these achievements that her ultimate goal is to achieve contentment in life.
1: Hi, Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on board. (laughs) Grace, um, I mean, wow, you're so impressive. At age 23, you've achieved a lot to say the least. Thank you. You finished your degree at Oxford University, launched two businesses, not one and you are on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What else can you ask for? <laughs> well, before we go into <laughs> your experiences right now, I'd love to hear more about um, your formative experiences. Oh, so, you know, how, how you grew up, what your family was like, what your upbringing was like, um, everything. Oh, huge question. <laughs> I guess, um, where do you think the drive comes from? Because I I feel like it's very, very unusual. And I'm sure our listeners would agree all the accomplishments that you made.
1: (laughs) So I've I've thought about this a lot. And so I've also talked about um, this to my siblings um, and kind of like my parents, because we're all very stressed (laughs) in our family. (laughs) Like very just like, it's driven, but driven in a kind of like frantic, like I need to do this and get this done and be great at this way um and always has been i don't think it's something that developed later on i think it's something i mean i literally used to stay after school every day to do all of my homework that had been set that day and then hand it in and go home and it wasn't out of being like thinking that i needed to do that or like being a teacher's pet or everything it was the worry that so much would be set the next day or I wouldn't have a clear evening the next day or I'd have like a sports match or something that just something would get in the way and I wouldn't be able to do it. And so I feel like it was an element of kind of control um, and just led into kind of that being just the way we do things. I mean, I've worked with almost, I've worked with every member of my family now, apart from my mum and um, in the companies in some way. Um, And I've just seen that, you know, when I work with them, it is just... (laughs) It's great because the attention to detail is amazing. Um, but other than that, it's also very—you know—we all work the same way, and the way that the reason the attention to detail is so um, up there is because we just want to. We want to do it right, and we want to do it well. And I think it is a kind of—I don't know—it must be—it must be in in our blood somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've kind of always been like that, whether it was um, about schoolwork or music or sports or, um, whatever that might be. And I think in some ways it's a good thing. And in some ways I need to learn to stop.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. And how did you go into entrepreneurship? Were your parents entrepreneurs?
1: Um, did you have a family of entrepreneurs? Were you exposed to business early on? Uh, no, my, my parents weren't entrepreneurs. Um, my dad was self-employed, but he just had, you know, he had a, um, uh, just sort of just self-employed, worked for himself as a consultant for the past um, 10 years or whatever. Um, And um, so I didn't have exposure to that in the way that, you know, he was self-employed, but I didn't, I didn't live with him at that point. But also it wasn't something that I kind of, you know, saw as entrepreneurship. And I don't think that um, he did either. Um, And my mum wasn't either. In fact, I think I was so far removed from it because I didn't see it as a, as a way of success, I saw becoming a CEO at a big corporation success um, but i I wasn't exposed in any way to anyone who started companies, really, um, that I grew up with. I knew, obviously knew about people and read books and heard about people that I hadn't met and all of that. But um, I wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't something that I was kind of immersed in um, and then knew was the right thing to the point that actually when I was leaving university, I was frantically searching for quote unquote normal jobs um, because I didn't think that, that this could, I could really graduate and work for myself. Um, so that was a big change actually for me. Um, but I think it suits me well uh, in terms of my personality and in terms of the fact that that I, you know, I am a self-starter and I'll make things happen. And I think that, that part of entrepreneurship that is really suited to that is, um, you know, the fact that you, you make things happen. And if you don't make things happen, no one else does. Um, and, and I like that kind of rigor and need for determination.
0: Yeah that's so interesting. I noticed that you studied music from an early age. I, I know about this because my sister used to be a concert pianist, and she also went to music school since she was right. You know, she, she was 10, 10 or something, back back home in Korea. And I know that it requires a lot of sacrifice and grit being a musician yeah. And I, I could have I mean, like I didn't have the talent, but I could have never done that, I'm just looking at what she had to give up. Do you think that's had a lot of influence
1: on who you are today? I I think so. I think so for sure. And I think that when you're in, because I was speaking, I was speaking on my podcast, actually, literally the one that was live today um, to a prior um, Premier League footballer. And I was kind of saying... I learnt a lot from music in the way that you face when you're doing anything to a level that you've been told you're really talented but you have to work really hard and hard work will beat you but then you're also told that you're great so you need to work really hard at it and then you're rejected over and over and over and over mm-hmm. because when you're boosted to that kind of level whether, you know, for me I was at the Royal Academy um, of Music which was obviously a particularly <laughs> high standard that I yeah. felt very like impostory at um, then you get to somewhere like that and you're no longer the person who's been told that they're great at something you're one of the people that actually everyone's so much better than you so you have to work so hard but also alongside that you are just rejected every single day of yeah, the week. Yeah. You're told over and over again that something you've been told you're really good at and that you've worked really hard at you're actually not as good as all the best people in the world um and and that's something that I think when it's ingrained in you from a large age a large age a young age um I started that kind of very much I'd say probably properly when I was and then went to music school um, from the age of 15, I believe, which was still very young, um, to be doing that. And I think from that stage when you're just kind of, it's the roller coaster up and down and having to work so hard and then being told that you're great, but you're just not good enough over and over and over. I think that instills a lot of kind of determination in you because it makes you see that actually, no matter how talented you are at something, if Mm. you don't get up every single day and make that thing happen, someone else will. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. think that taught me a lot and when people ask me you know what I learned from my studies before um, because I started my businesses at university a lot of people assume I would have just dropped out, which makes a lot of sense and is definitely the right thing for a lot of people. But for me, I learned so much just in the way of that being something that, you know, I'd always done and needed to do really well and then often didn't do well. And I've really felt the consequences of that. Um, And it has a huge, I mean, anyone who's done anything um, that they've worked really, really hard at and done for an insane amount of hours a week will also know how hard that feels when it's the best part of your life and also the part of your life that brings you the most stress so I think yeah definitely yeah yeah
0: I I guess it's that strive for excellence and resilience that you really need as an entrepreneur that you've learned since you were age eight or something that's amazing a hundred percent yeah and you just mentioned you know like your university and not dropping off and You know, you see a lot of successful entrepreneurs, including Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, or even Bill Gates dropping out of prestigious universities um, to run their businesses. What were your thought processes? Why why did you decide to stay on um, through such a rigorous course when your business was so successful as well?
1: Um, It was, it was always, it was, I was always going to stay. I don't think I ever really, I, I considered it in first year. I was really, really having a tough time in first year. And then I started my first business and started making some money and kind of thinking, why am I here if this is giving me so much grief? Um, and I was struggling with my mental health at the time and I was finding it really hard to balance everything. Um, and I was kind of looking at it and being like, why am am I here? Um, but it was something that I really owe to myself. Um, and I think that there's a quite a big obsession with kind of instant gratification um, when it comes to things like entrepreneurship, not that entrepreneurs in general are instantly gratifying because they're not, they have to work for delayed gratification the whole time, but in the kind of, maybe it's like the social media culture of of, of quitting when things don't work for you. Um, and trust me when I say that there is so much place for quitting and a lot of that I've quit so many things and it's been the best decision ever, but also I think it's really easy to look at something, to jump ship really easily. Um, and for me, my longevity was in the fact that I, you know, first of all, this was my younger self's dream. I worked so hard to get to where I went to university and I, I, I went through a lot of rejection. I went through a lot of people telling me that I'd never get there. And so when I got there, I kind of felt like I really owed it to myself to um, be there. And then beyond that as well, I kind of, well, I told you I'm a very stressed person. I'm looking at my future and I want to know whether things are going to work out um and and for me part of that was having a degree to fall back on as well um mm. in, in, in kind of like the simplest terms too um even if that's just to to reassure myself mentally that um that I'm all good and I'm going to be fine and I can take risks and all of that um because I'm yeah I'm definitely the type of person who likes to plan and who likes to have kind of foresight over what their life and career and everything is going to look like um, so that that definitely came into it yeah, for me yeah. um, and it was just the right, it was the right thing to do for me. And I don't regret it. And I think that I looked at the span of my life or what I hope my life will be um, and kind of thought two more years, like is nothing, mm. it's nothing. And I can prove to myself that I can do it. And even if I hate every single day and come out the other end and think, God, I should have quit that way sooner at least I know that. And at least I proved to myself that I could get through something that was really, really hard, that was with people who were far more intelligent than me. Um, and that I could work at something and make it happen, even if it was, it wasn't the easiest thing for me.
0: Yeah. Now that you've come out of that tunnel, i.e., you graduated, do you feel much more relaxed, Grace? And do you, um, I guess, you know, <laughs> do you, do
1: you feel like you could do it all over again? So I could lie and say yes, um, <laughs> but, it, but it, w- it would be a lie. I'm no, I'm no less, I'm no um, less stressed, and I. Don't think I could do it all over again, but I think that that proves to me. Oh, I think I could build the businesses all over again. Um, I don't think I could do the whole trajectory all over again, mainly because I needed to push myself through things and to come out the other side and say, you know, sometimes when I'm having a really tough day and I'm thinking I'm not working hard enough, I'm not doing any of this. I also am able to say, like, well, I've also worked really hard for a really long time, and that's my always been my kind of mo. And you know, sometimes a day that's not like that is. Absolutely fine. Um, so that's kind of a real, um, you know, that's always kind of in the back of my mind. So that helps to know that I've proved to myself that I can put through myself through not like a week of something I don't like, but three years of something that was really, really, really um, tough and grueling, and alongside the businesses and everything. Um, and then, yeah, but I, I think that there's lots of things that I'd like to do again, and I think there's lots of things I like to do <laughs> in the past. But I think one of those things is I've done it. I don't think you could, <laughs> I don't think you could force me back.
0: Yeah, but congratulations for making it through. Thank you. I really admire that. (laughs) And um, I mean, like for someone who's debating whether they should start their own business or go to university or like start a career or go to university, what kind of
1: advice would you give them? I think it completely depends. I'm asked this a lot and a lot of people kind of say, you know, do you think university taught you what you needed to know now? Absolutely not. And I did not, I did not take anything to do with business. I could have used a lot of that help. I also could have learned a lot of that through books, so it wasn't a necessity. I think it completely depends on... Being perfectly honest, I think a lot of, it's a huge luxury to have three years at the beginning of your professional career or your adult life to figure out what you want to do. And I think for most people, that will be the biggest advantage of university. Unless of course, you're going into medicine or something where you need to study very vocational, in which case, please go to university because I really do not want doctors operating on me. Um, without <laughs> degree. Um, me neither. In general, <laughs> I'd say that It's so not essential. Um, And I'd also say that for some people it really is because they need that time to, as cliche as it is, find themselves or, um, you know, discover who they are or work out what they really don't like or work out that they've been hanging out with the wrong people all their lives. And there's a whole, you know, huge amount of people that understand them and all of that and I think university is so key for that Um, and those years of your life you know if you don't go to university Um, but I think for the majority of people that will be the main benefit and also you know as I was saying pushing through something that's not easy um, and that for a lot of people won't Suit them well, and will be their first time properly away from home. And I'd always been really depend- independent before I was at university, kind of anyway. So it wasn't a huge change for me in terms of you know <laughs> cooking for myself and working out how to like live by myself and all of that. That was kind of very much part of my life before. um But I I think that's the most important thing, to be honest. And I think that's probably what most parents don't want to hear. Um, but I also think if you're not going to university. You kind of are throwing yourself into the deep end, which is why I think that the huge benefit of going is that kind of stalling of that time and really understanding and discovering yourself and what you want to do. Um, That being said, of course, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to university um, and have to be thrown in at the deep end. So that's why I say that I also think it's a huge luxury um, to be able to have that time to discover um, those things about yourself. Completely
0: agree. Uh, and then I guess going back to before university, you started off as an influencer and then became an entrepreneur while you were at university. We see this shift quite a lot in this space. Um, what do you think are the upsides? And obviously, I'm sure there are challenges
1: of being an influencer entrepreneur. What do you think those are? One was definitely, you know, the influence of stuff that was definitely growing before the businesses. But actually, if you look at the timeline, the majority of my the large majority of my career has been as a kind of entrepreneur. And then it's been one or two years before that of really trying to make the influence of things work. I kind of see it more in tandem when I look at the, um, the trajectory. Cause actually, you know, I didn't, don't think I even had a hundred thousand followers, which obviously is a huge amount of people. Um, but actually if you look at the way the growth happened after that, um, by the time I'd kind of started my brand. So it was, it was a discovery on both sides, I think. Um, yeah. and I say that because I think that, you know, I always saw my trajectory as having been that way. And then I actually thought, you know, no, I, I started the first business in the, literally in my first term at university in December of 2016. Um, and, um, I think that there are huge upsides to both. And I don't think anyone would be able to um, kind of say otherwise. I'd also say they're both incredibly high-pressure jobs. But I'd say that it's quite hard to group. I think influencers are often grouped together in terms of, you know, the way they're analysed and what they do and how their jobs are and all of that. But actually, if you look at the influencer market... The amount, the breadth of influencing um, and influencer types and what their day to days look like. I have influencer friends who, you know, uh, spend the majority of their time traveling and um, going out and taking content and stuff. I also have influencer friends who work more than nine to five or work nine to five or or work a few hours a week. Um, and so I think that it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite hard to judge it as a broad kind of homogenous group. Um, but for me, there have been huge upsides and downsides of both, but I definitely could not argue that there have been more downsides than upsides. Yeah. What, what were the downsides out of curiosity? I think in any high stress job, there is, um, obviously the, um, the, you know, the, the pressure, the pressure, and that is multiplied a million fold with all those people, um, who are also expecting that from you. You know, I had my career watched from the second it started. Mm. Um, and anyone starting their career will know that it's pretty nerve wracking to try and navigate anything. That does sound really stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and also the studying a business side and you make all your mistakes in public. There are parts of that that are, you know, forgiving and human. Like, and kind of, I've had so many people supporting me, uh, and I definitely couldn't argue otherwise. And at the same time, um, there's a huge effect on your mental health when you're trying to figure out who you are, what your yeah. career is, what you want from your career, um, how to navigate your mistakes, how to do things right, whilst also being looked at by that many people. Absolutely, and mental health is such a huge topic right now, especially with the millennials
0: and Gen Zs. How did you navigate mental health while being exposed to the public, while running two businesses, um, while, you know, completing a rigorous course at Oxford?
1: Uh, How did you like how did you look after yourself? Um, I think sometimes and actually probably until recently, probably nowhere near enough. I'll be the first person to kind of be a proponent of talking about mental health and um, especially things like in the workplace where I can really have an influence on that and for my employees and all of that. And then when it comes to my own mental health, I'm very much more like, well, you're so lucky you have nothing to be sad about. And you have to, you know, you And I, kind of I think it's really easy to see everything that is fantastic. And I would never turn around and really like complain about that. So um, there's um, there are kind of various different things that come into it. But I think that it is it's been very important for me to work out where my boundaries are and whether that is with online whether that's with work whether that's with friends whether that's with my own time whatever that might be uh and work out what those boundaries are and then be pretty strict with myself about um kind of keeping them there um and and sticking to them because of because it affects me otherwise yeah um and I think that that's not just for anyone within my field or anything um that will be um that will be pretty key to every single um every single other person ever. You need, you need boundaries based on the kind of whatever you do.
0: Of course. And I know in your book, you talk about productivity as well as self-care. Can you, um, you know, give our listeners a few tips on how to create that boundary and how to look after yourself? Well, I
1: think it's hard because it's so specific to the um person. Um, So for, for me, it's been really, it's a, been a longer journey. I think for me, it was, I, I write within um, my book about literally how for a period of time when I really realized that I just didn't know how to my kind of own operating manual at all. I literally drew out a kind of double page spread in my um, notebook and I put like over the space of a few weeks, I collected like things that make me feel good, things that do not make me feel good. Um, And, and just clarified for myself and I think that it's really easy to think something makes you feel good and then to actually understand that after a certain amount of time it probably doesn't or if you know posting on social media and sharing your successes makes you feel good great but if after a few hours you feel a bit shit because that validation's worn off and all of that then that's where you need to start setting in those boundaries so for me it was just about kind of that discovery um and and working out where where those lines um where those lines are really
0: yeah, absolutely. OK, now now let's talk about your two amazing brands, Tala and Shreddy. Tell me all about how they started and what what the inspirations were and whether, you know, they have any synergies between them.
1: I think both the businesses were started out of problems that I wanted to solve within the industries I was in. So whether I was a kind of consumer of fashion, activewear um, or whether I was a, um, you know, consumer of the fitness industry, they were answers to problems that I thought were happening or that I thought were not being solved very well. So, so it, it adds up in that way then that the target demographic is almost entirely people like me or people or people like past me, or, um, or which is great as in, I've talked to a lot of people recently with really successful brands who started the brands because they wanted to complete their wardrobe or they wanted to, um, you know, they wanted to fix a problem that they were having with childcare or whatever it might be. Um, and that makes you the target demographic, which becomes a really useful thermostat for knowing whether people will like a product a service a marketing campaign um and everything so that's i'd say um that's the synergies between the two and another synergy between the two um other than that kind of like audience is exactly that kind of it's it's a problem solving it's a having a really clear mission um so with tala we believe that sustainably produced clothing should be the norm and we don't believe in compromising on sustainable uh, sustainable production ethical production style um, competitive pricing, um, flatteriness, like kind of a huge list of things that we, that I didn't want to compromise on when I was shopping things and was realizing that either I had to compromise on price or sustainability, or if it was really sustainable, it looked a very certain way. And then at Shreddy, um, the real driving factor behind that was that I found found that the whole fitness industry was telling me to do things if I wanted to achieve, achieve X, Y, and Z results. Um, and that, that was fine because, you know, I I'd, I'd try it for a while and then I'd be like, Oh, I don't really like this, but I need to get this result. And then I'd obviously inevitably never stick to it. So I started to realize that the whole fitness industry, especially for women was aimed at changing you by doing things that you don't want to do rather than having, finding any joy or fulfillment in the journey um, or largely so. So Shreddy was set up to, because the tagline, I guess, is that we don't believe you should do workouts you hate to get results you love. Um, and the app itself, is an algorithm-based app that you can put all of your preferences into, where you like to work out, what types of workouts, how long for, how many times a week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what your goals are, and it will make the perfect plan based on your preferences, because you're going to stick to something if you love it. Um, So I think that's probably the key um, underlying factor between the brands is that they are what you know, I felt was needed within their industry Mm. and that has been able to have a really clear um, kind of motivation behind making them what they, you know, yeah, what I think they should be and what I think the industry needs.
0: Yeah, I think that's the best inspiration, just finding that pain point. And I I feel like that's how most businesses start from the founder's pain points. Yeah. Uh, So how do you juggle getting two brands? (laughs) (laughs) Also not very well.
1: Yeah, it just sounds so stressful. Yeah, just like hitting one brand is um a lot of work for me. I mean, <laughs> all in all, I mean, I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, I started Tala in my um in my last year at university and I am often given a lot of credit for having having done that and I started it a month before my finals and then people say like, "Oh, that's so amazing. Like, how did you do that? That's incredible. Wow. And I kind of think, no, it was a stupid, stupid idea. <laughs> like it's such bad planning. Um, but that's kind of be, then been the, um, seems to be the theme of the rest of my life. So, um, <laughs> um, just frantic getting things done and potentially at the wrong time. Um, and too much is, um, seems to be a key factor there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's better now. Um, it, I spent a lot of time over the past year building the foundations for the businesses for where I wanted them to go from now. I think they've had their first era and they're going into their second era. Um, and that is about expansion. It's about finding more people who love the mission. It's about um, working out where we expand into product categories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I, part of that as well was working out where I sit and who I feed into and where I have an impact in each process and where I don't um and so over the past year that's become a lot easier because I've put things in place that mean that you know I know I'm in involved at the brief process of a new collection or I know I'm involved at the conceptualization process or stage of a new challenge or campaign um and so you know people often ask kind of how do I do everything and the answer really is a lot of the time I don't um I when you say that someone else has the same 24 hours and the day it's exactly that they're not making up more hours and therefore they have to either streamline delegate build teams um whatever it might be and that's a key part of what I do show I have free time as well you know I show I I go to the pub on the weekend and, mm. and all of that and and it's because I've built teams it's not me nothing here is a singular job of just me Um, and, um, yeah. Yeah. It's all about the team. If you hire the right team, it
0: sets you free. That's what I've noticed. Exactly. And I mean, like I'm 41, so like a lot of um, my staff are younger than me, but you're really young. So I would assume like a lot of the people that work for you are more experienced and older, right? You'd hope so. How do
1: you, how do you manage and how do you manage and lead people who are, I guess, more experienced than you? It's been a journey, to be honest. And I've been thinking about it recently. And I think that it's tough because it's a fl- it's flipping any company culture on its head. But I think that now I've come to this point, I've realized that flipping any company culture on its head is usually a good thing when you're thinking about it now. And it usually shakes things up a bit. And it usually makes people think, why am I here? And what is the job I'm doing? Am I here to shout at other people for not doing their job? Or am I here to collaborate with people? to make the best work we can all do and to make everyone the best version of themselves and the best version of their role and all of that and I think that that is what that is why so many younger and kind of outside of the box thinking companies do well um, because they don't take something like that as a given it's not you know if I'm coming in and I'm 24 and I'm saying actually we need to do things differently then we also value ideas from throughout the organization we've just had someone from customer service move into product because she did product at university and then had to leave and now wants to go back into product so we've been able to kind of make that change and we've been able to you know, And things like that are important to us and finding out what people do well in organizations and not just taking everything as kind of face value. So, I mean, at the beginning, it was really difficult because I would assume that everyone with more experience than me, um, you know, knew better than me. And then I had to learn the hard way that actually things were coming out that i was saying this isn't Tala or this isn't shreddy um and and i was realizing that that wasn't anyone else's fault other than mine because i hadn't stepped up and said anything because i was intimidated by the fact that other people were more um experienced and so i've learned that actually everyone has a place whether that's my driving vision and knowledge of the demographic and knowledge of the brand um and then on the other side um you know other people's experience should feed into that too so it's been it's been such a journey and I think that actually the best part of it is it creates a culture of collaboration um because we know that you know it's not just about experience it's not just about how old you are or how loud your voice is um and it creates that culture of let's listen to each other and build something fantastic let's not um Kind of just create hierarchies and reporting systems that just need to be there, just to just so that someone can tell you off when you don't do it and all of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I completely agree with you, and I feel like that's the new thought of leadership. And you know, the command and control leadership doesn't work anymore. Um, Yeah. So, what what is your leadership philosophy if you had to distill it down to a few words?
1: I it's really interesting I listened to a podcast this morning on business of fashion um, which was a masterclass in leadership by Simon Sinek and I it was fantastic oh I love Uh, it 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 was so good and I thought that I probably heard everything Simon Sinek has to say (laughs) but it turns out I haven't Um, it was so fantastic and it was all about leading with empathy and um, Mm. a lot of the driving factors that people in my organizations have which makes me very happy and very proud Um, and it's all about you know, over the fact that over the past year, for the first time, people picked up their phones at the beginning of the pandemic and called their employees or their colleagues or whatever and said, are you okay? And assumed that if they didn't hit targets, it wasn't necessarily because they were, this is what he said, it wasn't necessarily because they were stupid and lazy or whatever. Mm. It was maybe because they were finding it hard or because they had something going on at home or because their work environment wasn't great or because blah, 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 blah. And how great is that? But also how sad is that, that that had to be driven by like a pandemic. Mm. And then if you're able to take that and think with that understanding, we were able to have a bit more nuance of how people work and a bit more empathy is towards how people are the best versions of their roles. And therefore in that moment, we created great leadership because we created understanding and we created a, a drive for growth without kind of without a pressure on growth just with the numbers in spite of everything else and just, you know, at the cost of everything else. Yeah. And I think that that kind of said through and through exactly what I want to be. And I think that in the past, you know, I've tried to be too authoritative because out of insecurity, because I'm young and I need to assert myself and I need to show that I'm the boss or whatever. And then over the past year, as I've, it's kind of been a probably a collision of the fact that it was the pandemic and also the fact that, you know, it was, I was a few years into running the businesses uh, and it had really taught me a lot and they were growing, et cetera, et cetera. And really realizing, actually, this is, you know, the best way to lead is just by being a nice person and you can be a nice person and still have targets and still be clear when something's not up to standard and still, um, you know, not be happy with things. But the driving factor of that is is not just beating people with a stick I mean obviously figuratively um, beating like that kind of like leadership when it's you know just for the sake of it and it also speeds things up a lot because if you create too many layers of authority just so people have authority what's, you know, what, what, what's the point? Is it for everyone's ego or is it actually to make the company better and the employees better and to make everything, you know, the quality of work better. So I think for me, it's all been about empathy and collaboration.
0: Yeah. And I feel like with empathy and collaboration, there comes a lot more innovation throughout the organization. Absolutely. And I mean like the targets like growth and profits will follow. So I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. So, so running two brands and, you know, doing like achieving all these amazing things, what was the biggest challenge so far for you?
1: They come every day. <laughs> I'm sure. I think um, the best way I could describe running a business is like problem whack-a-mole. So it's just like everything's just like well, you you hit one, another two come up, you hit those two, one comes up and you can't even reach it. And like, oh, that's, that's just <laughs> the only way you can accurately describe having a business. So I think that, there've been so many different challenges and I'd say probably at the moment, it's all been about, you know, making sure I'm really knowing exactly where I want the companies to go and what that looks like internally, what that looks like externally. Um, and knowing how we evolve as well. It's really hard to evolve as a business when you do something well, how do you extrapolate that and how do you make that expand? Um, and that's what scaling is all about. Um, but it's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to navigate. And so I, I don't think I can pinpoint one, <laughs> one thing <laughs> at all. Um, probably ask me every day and I'll have a different answer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And I mean, on the flip side, what was the biggest milestone for you? I'm sure you've gotten many, but if you had to pinpoint to like one or two.
1: Oh, I think, I think the OG one would be Forbes. Um, that was huge. And so, mm. I mean, I think that I, I had Forbes 30 under 30 on my vision board, but I had it as a kind of like you know, one of those far reaching, Mm. (laughs) those kind of ones where you thought like, oh, this would be great, but you know, you don't actually consider it as something that's going to happen. And then if I had considered it as something that was going to happen, it would be way later. I just didn't know. I I knew one person who I could see that was on it, um, who was in like the retail sector at all, rather than kind of, I, I knew lots of like actors and musicians and all that. And I, um, so I just saw it as quite removed from myself. Um, And so that when that happened, I was just kind of like, oh, my God. Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah. I'd say the majority are actually internal things Mm, um, and all about, you know, really navigating that and making sure the business is the best it can possibly be. What's on your vision board now? I feel like a vision board is like when you make your birthday wish and you kind of (laughs) don't want to say it because then it won't come true you
0: can tell me once they come true
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly I'll I'll just be like oh there's another one I think uh, what I shifted it from as well was all about business and work um to to being about other things as well about you know how much I want to you know general contentment and travel and friends Mm. and milestones and pushing myself out of my comfort zone and all of that yeah Um, Yeah. I think I'm very good at being work orientated Mm. and not so great at concentrating on other things in my life
0: (laughs) so how do you uh, I guess balance that if you um do balance it do you go out with your friends at all do you downtime um how how do you fill your time when you're not working
1: (laughs) yeah so i i do i do all of those things and actually over the past well since the world's kind of since like i guess april 12th it would be um i've had a lot of concentration on actually trying to um live like a normal 24 year old which has its challenges when you have two businesses as well but um i've been um attempting to make that happen in some way or another um and i'd say you know, beyond that, it's all about those boundaries. I mean, I kind of, I mean, it's, it's what I wrote the whole um book on. Um, But I, yeah, it's, it's about setting those boundaries. And they're different at all times as well. Sometimes you need to be 90% work and 10% life. And that's absolutely fine. But that should be a needs must amount of time. And sometimes you need to be all about your home life because you've got, you know, you're suffering with your mental health or your family is or you've got, whatever it might be. Um and so for me it's just about establishing what my boundaries are at any one time and then um making sure I operate within those so that I stay alive. Mine used to be that I wouldn't go out more than twice a week in terms of even like going to dinner or anything. And at the moment <laughs> I can't get enough of it because, you know, we've been <laughs> locked inside for a year. So it's all yeah. about that like changing and evolution and understanding yeah, where yeah. you sit and and how to make that better for yourself.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, I would imagine not many 23, 24 year olds are going through the same path as you. Do you sometimes feel like, um, you don't have enough peers to talk to you? Do you sometimes feel lonely? I'm asking because I sometimes feel lonely as a founder. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I think, I think all founders, I think, especially I, I opened a book the other day and it was like rule number one, do not be a solo founder. And I was like, Oh, thanks a bit late. Um, <laughs> but I'd say, um, I'd say, you know, there, there is a part of that you're on a very stressful, very high pressured mm. um, journey where every time things go so wrong, it will always come back to you. No matter mm. what layers you have in between yourself and a problem, when it goes wrong, it's your job. So I think that, yes, it, can be um lonely and, and tough um, as I say the benefits definitely outweigh um but I think I found it really important to make sure that I am also um you know reaching out to other people who are in similar roles um yeah. and getting to know them and getting to know their challenges etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah I think it's really easy you know because as you say it's a strange position to be in
0: yeah I think that's so important. And how do you um, stay inspired? Where do you learn like
1: everything that you learn? Do you just learn by doing? Do you have like favorite podcasts or books? Yeah, it, a lot of it's about podcasts. A lot of it's about following people on social media who I think are great and inspire me. A lot of it is about staying off my phone and reading books. Um, <laughs> and um, so it depends at any one time. Again, it's one of those things that really fluctuates with me. Sometimes I'm, re- I'm a real reader and I'll read five articles a day before I start work and then a book and all of this that and the other and other times the most I can do is maybe a um, podcast on my dog walk um so but yeah a lot of that and I think that immersion is really important so immersing yourself in that kind of inspiration things that you find inspiring um yeah, so for me yeah. that's you know that's about following people and putting them in the areas that I'm going to see and going to get motivated from yeah, absolutely. What's one book that you'd recommend
0: that you read recently?
1: I've just read, so, I just basically, I made myself, um, I, I took a, a week of annual leave in my back garden and I read so many novels. So I'm now trying to... Oh, that's amazing. Um, oh, that sounds like out, such which, a treat. Um, oh no, it really was. And it was that really sunny week as well, which was fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, do you know what? I actually really enjoyed the Patrick Bet David, Your Next Five Moves. Um, mm. which I just thought when it came out um, yeah. and then obviously I'd say the Simon Sinek find your why or the yeah, start with yeah. why stuff um, but that's all the TED talk too so you know I'd watch the TED talk always I'd say those are yeah yeah they're great, great recommendations
0: actually <laughs> and then and then finally to wrap up despite all the accomplishments you are still very young I, I keep on saying you're young I'm, I'm sorry about that but you you are oh, no, young no, no, and accomplished. It is. so so I think it's very appropriate to ask you this question what do you
1: want to be when you grow up Grace oh, well, where do I you see yourself to ask me that question <laughs> I I do you know what honestly I I really don't know and I think that that gives me a lot of not, not grief, but, um, I like knowing where I want to be. And I like, you know, throughout school and throughout everything, I always had like a next goal that I wanted to do. And I think that that's actually probably lost me a bit of inspiration, um, in the past year. Cause I think I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve and it's a great mm. problem to have, but actually, you know, your marks of success always move. So it's important to have those things that you want to do. Um, I think what I'd say, actually, what I want to be when I grow up is just content. I don't think it's about, a job or an accolade mm. or a um, success marker. And I think I have to say that as well because for me, it has always been about that. And I've yeah. been really good at setting goals and getting there. And I've been less good at setting goals and getting there and then acknowledging and congratulating myself and mm. being excited about the fact that I'm there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, for me, I think, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be content.
0: Yeah, that's a great goal,
1: actually. Yeah, thank you
0: so much, Grace. I've been so inspired. Thanks for thanks for being here with me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a review. And remember to join us over at Astrid and Mew on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for more source of inspiration i